Hello, and we are live. <laughs> Welcome to Design Wake Up, the place where twice a month design, innovation, and management meet. We are your hosts, Sam, Marco, and Simon. We've got a confession to make. We've been a bit rubbish. And you know that thing where you just use somebody else for your inspiration? And last week we used Marcus Brownlee for inspiration. This week we're using Marcus Brownlee for inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we're going to get a letter from his lawyers soon, I'm, pre I'm pretty certain. But until that time, we'll, we'll just keep riding that thing. Me and my extensive bank account can afford a legion of lawyers, so... <laughs> I'm pretty sure. We can't afford that type of representation, but... I know, if you, if you don't see us next week, you'll know what happened. Yeah, got lost in the supermarket trying to pay the bill. That's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> Marco's supermarket lawyers um, <laughs> chasing him down. Right, this week we're going to be talking about... Well, the inspiration came from a video that Marcus posted a while back. The problem comes from how entirely unpredictable electric car launches have been for the past like half a decade to the point where if you put your money down for one of these things you really don't know exactly what you're going to be getting or when you're going to be getting it. Tesla's success has convinced a lot of people they can spin up a new electric car company too. Making new electric cars is really difficult and really expensive and starting a new electric car company is even more difficult and even more expensive. What does Tesla have to do with design ethics? Um, and while we um, will explore the, the topic of design ethics, and by the way, we have an expert here. Sam is doing a PhD in design ethics. So we need to announce that here today. But um, I think there's a, an, an important area that we'll explore here and why we are talking about Tesla for just a bit of context. In 2027, they announced the second version of the Tesla Roadster. Yeah, we're going to have to stop you there. Why? <laughs> because 2027 hasn't happened yet. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> also, I'm, I'm, I'm leave that in. Leave that in. I'm over there. I'm 2017. Oh, my God. Should I start again? No, no. Just carry We're on. We're leaving all of that in. <laughs> in 2017, Tesla announced the uh, second version of the Tesla Roadster. If you don't know, Tesla, the Tesla Roadster model actually was the first uh, model that they produced. I'm a big, big Suits fan. And there's an episode, I think it's like the third episode or whatever, that they um, have the car in the, in the series. So it was really, really cool. By the way, if you are not a Suits uh, fan, I don't know what you're doing with your life, honestly. Anyways, going back to what we're talking about. So they announced the second version and uh, it was expected to be uh, released in 2020. Uh, the way to reserve it was really, really simple. Uh, if you, you had a lot of money, uh, make a credit card reservation uh, of $5,000 and then you had uh, 10 more days to wire uh, $45,000 and you would reserve like a very exclusive uh, Roadster 2.0 electric car. And in 2029, they announced the new Cybertruck, uh, which was expected to be uh, produced in 2021. However, it's 2022 and we don't have neither the Tesla Roadster nor the Cybertruck. So we'll be talking about showing our point of view as to whether Tesla is doing something uh, wrong and covering that within the topic of design ethics. So basically, Tesla are getting an interest-free bank loan courtesy of their fans 
at first this kind of draws parallels with other product design and product management processes such as creating Wizard of Oz prototypes or concierge prototypes where you're kind of pretending to do one thing and delivering another. Those are prototypes that are meant to look like real online services where you might expect a database and some automated services and APIs to be running things in the background. But in reality, you're doing something like emailing a man that sat at his computer and he takes care of certain things such as generating a quote for your insurance policy or sending you a pair of shoes, which is the most famous case. If you've read The Lean Startup, you'll know all about that. If you haven't, link in the description. But in those instances, the customer is actually getting a product. It's just making an automated process or what seems to be an automated process, a manual process behind the scenes. It also reminds me a little bit of the case study in The Lean Startup, again, about the Dropbox MVP, which is effectively just a video which goes over the functionality of Dropbox, um, but kind of fakes it. If you go on YouTube and look it up, you can actually watch that uh, video. And that was used as a pitch to get funding for Dropbox in its really early days. That's kind of more in line with what's going on here. We're effectively selling a product that doesn't yet exist. And I think it's interesting to delve into the ethics of doing that. Where is it that the product designer should stop and say, well, hang on a second. I know that this doesn't exist, but I'm selling it nonetheless hoping that one day it will exist. It's interesting. I was listening to you talking about the ethics and where do we draw the line, um, you know, being a product designer or an engineer uh, in terms of developing or not developing something. And I think we, we are touching here, obviously, in the, the scope of design ethics. But I have to tell you this, and maybe this will be a hint for a spoiler or not. We'll see. Uh, but I, my, the perception I, I had of Tesla in terms of the ethics behind it is completely different than what I have today after um, I've, I've done all of the research necessary for this episode. But there's also a, an aspect here that is what is design ethics at the end of the day? And I said it in the beginning of the episode that we have an expert uh, of design ethics here uh, uh, with us, our very own Sam. Maybe when I finish my PhD in six years, <laughs> I'll be an expert. But um, I do have an opinion, which hopefully will be enough for now. Um, I think, you know, as a designer, you have a lot of impact and influence on the end user, you know, how they think, how they interact with your product, how they behave. Um, and very often designers are expected by the organizations to influence users and not, it's not always in their best interests. And very often we're, we've got an, a decision to make between what's best for your employer or what's best for your user. Um, because design ethics is something that I'm very passionate about and something that I think is very important right now. It's in a conversation that is fairly new. Not a lot of people are talking about it. But it's something that we definitely need to talk more about. And I think it is up to the designer to sometimes say no and just say there are different ways of doing this. You know, we need to rethink this because at the end of the day, if you're harming your user, 
you you will fail at some point and users will start to get annoyed and you will get bad reputation and 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 stuff and maybe not in the sphere of of electric cars because it's not really my biggest interest but i do have a few examples of where the ethical decisions uh, that designers made impacted, you know, what what then happened with the product. So, got the example of a Volkswagen and uh, what they did with their um, CO two emission uh, situation, where it was the designer that actually went to jail for it. I think it might even be the first time in history that a designer actually went, the programmer went to jail for that fraud that happened, and and I think it's now the best time for designers to start talking about what kind of interventions do we need to do on the product lifecycle journey um, to safeguard the user, but also safeguard our jobs. Because, you know, in the end, these things are starting to come out and it is starting to show which products were created with the user's best interests at heart and which ones were created more just to make money. So are we saying that there's a principle behind design ethics? Most of us know like the principles of Agile, you know, and the manifesto by which um, uh, the, it follows the principles. Uh, so is that, are, are, are there any principles as well in design ethics and what is happening today? I think design ethics has many forms. So, you know, from how you choose the projects and products that you work with, who do you work with from client side? Um, there are different types of clients that you can or cannot work with. Um, you've got copyrights, you've got, you know, legal protection. From what I understand, there isn't an ethical code at, at present. It's something that is yet to be defined. Hence why I'm doing a PhD. I'm very excited, as you can tell. I think it's up to us designers to come up with that code and, you know, we need to create something consistent. We need, to, you know, if we look, if we look at even design thinking processes, we can see that there, there are a few different ways of doing design thinking. There are different ways of creating products. Like you, there, the, the premise is the same. Like you've got four stages, five stages, six stages, depending on which one you choose. But the premise is the same. You've got the kind of empathizing, you've got the design, you've got the testing, all that. But there isn't any ethical interventions along the way. So that's kind of what I'm really interested in. What do we need to do to safeguard the users? Currently, when you look at policies and you look at any disclaimers, it's more the user's role to speak up and say, oh, this product is unethical. But I don't think we should put that on the user. I think it's up to us to design things that are ethical and safeguard the user and future-proof the product. Um, so yeah. in answer to your question, Marco, not as yet. I think every company makes their own ethical decisions, but I definitely think it's something that we need to speak more about. As I was reading more uh, about design ethics, I found myself realizing that a lot of the companies that I follow already implement some of the idea behind what design ethic is. You know, it's about a user, so it's about providing the best experience for the user, making sure that whatever you do is accessible for your users, that you don't leave anyone out. Uh, transparency, for example, if you have a subscription service, it needs to be transparent. And we see an evolution of that happening, right? Before it was a struggle, it was a pain for, for, for a user to cancel a service. Whereas now it's, it's so much more seamless, the experience you have behind that. Uh, and it falls down to 
a new, uh, an important area that I think also more and more um, people um, are concerned about, which is sustainability. So how can you, whatever you make, deliver uh, better and more sustainable outcomes? And, and, and as I said, you kind of have those principles starting to be shaped in some of more uh, cutting edge and responsible type of organizations. We're at the we're at, we're in this space right now where digital services are taking over the, our lives. They have an effect on real people, and those effects create ripples. So when you were saying just now, completely correctly, that you know there's a focus on the user, on the ideal user journey, on you know on making products that are fit for users, absolutely. But are we thinking about? the future, are we thinking about the ripples that they create? Nudge theory, for instance, you know, governments take for granted the nudges that they ask their behavioral science teams to design. Are they really focusing on the end user and what kind of ripple, it what kind of effects it will have on their lives 10 years from now? Maybe, maybe not. At the moment, there are no policies that govern digital services uh, when it comes to ethics, the ethics of design, they're treated very differently. When you look at automotive companies, they've got their policies in place. So when Volkswagen did whatever they did, they, you know, people went to jail, people got, you know, sacked and whatever. But if Uber does something, nothing happens because it's a digital service, not an automotive company. So that's, I think, where we need to focus on. And my PhD, watch the space, um, will actually be focused on digital services. So that's where I want to start the conversation about creating interventions in the product lifecycle that make sure that we safeguard the user, that we're thinking about, you know, three years from now, 10 years from now. And of course, we can't foresee everything because there are wicked problems, there are black swan events, there are different things happening. But I think as long as we, we're governed by certain ethical principles, at least we can say we tried. And I think that's already quite a lot and definitely more than we're doing now. But we are getting out of a uh, bit off topic and we need to go back to the Tesla analogy. I don't think we are going off subject. I think that brings us back to the larger question at hand. And when you talk about ethics becoming more and more important, I disagree with you. I don't think you're right there at all. Um, I think, if anything, we're finding more and more elaborate ways to get around giving users a good user experience. Now, th there's usually a transaction going on when you're talking about the work that we do. So it, as an example, last year, I got a free trial of Apple TV. And to start that trial, I had to give them my credit card details. And the thing that I was expecting to happen would be that you would start the free trial, you would immediately go into your settings and cancel it so that you wouldn't get billed when you inevitably forget that it was set up a year later. But that's not the case with Apple TV. If you cancel, you stop getting the service. And I think it's not beyond the wit of man to understand that that was done on purpose. The best user experience would be to just give your Apple ID that is associated with your new laptop, which is why I got the deal, and just get the free Apple TV. But that doesn't serve the bottom line of Apple, which is kind of the, the give and take of this argument. They need to make money. 
I understand that. So I put up with the fact that I need to go into my calendar and set a date um, 11 months into the future to remind me to cancel that. Otherwise, I'm going to get charged for another year's subscription. And that's just one example. That sort of thing happens all over the place. I disagree with you. I don't think that, it, I don't think that is unethical. I'm sure at some point these companies must have hypothesized, for example, how would you try to deliver the best experience, but still guarantee that you have a growth in um, paying customers. Yes, there, there was a moment, uh, there, there have been situations where I wanted to cancel something and then I forgot, you know, fair enough. Um, but is that really being unethical? Maybe Did I say that it was unethical? I don't know. I, it doesn't really bother me that much. I think that's what they're playing on. It doesn't bother people that there's this certain expectation. Um, it feels like it's a game. You know that I'm trying to get money out of you, but I'm giving you a service. So you're going to accept that. And we're going to play this little game of hide and seek until you've got what you want from me and I've got what I want from you. And somebody's going to lose out at some point because that's the nature of life. It's subjective. What is unethical? Where does unethical turn into malice, turn into dangerous? There's like a there's a sliding scale. So you can't really you know, say that sludge is unethical. But, but if you think about the user journey, the ideal ideal user journey, again, that is different for every person. Like you might think that you're designing the perfect user journey but you're you've got unconscious bias just the same as everyone else does so you're gonna create an ideal user journey that you think is perfect very often not thinking about the wider system and people are going to find shortcuts they are going to go around it because that's what it is it's all relative everything we do is relative so i think you're absolutely right where does good and bad start and end but just like we've got design principles just like we've got processes in place for designing a product and for being successful, just the same way we can have one or two interventions along the way just to ask ourselves the questions. And I'm going to now say one of the best lines in cinematic history from Jurassic Park. Just because we can doesn't mean we should. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. That's a good line. So when we're talking about Apple doing things that I personally think sacrificing UX in return for a potential return on investment. There's a lot of returns in that sentence, but I'm, I'll go with it. I'm heading down that path because it kind of feels like there's an unspoken agreement on both sides. I understand the risk of putting my credit card details in here for getting that service in return, which kind of leads us neatly back to Tesla. We ask, is it ethical to get that interest-free loan from your users when you are a massive company with deep pockets already. Is it ethical? Is it unethical? Is there kind of an understanding that when you put your money into that Tesla website that you kind of know what you're getting yourself into? Let me start by saying this. And I think I already said it, but I'll say it again. My, per my perception before I started the research is completely different than what my opinion is today. Wait, wait, wait. Give us, give, us a, give us an overview. What was your perception before in one sentence? My perceptions before is that what they were doing was unethical um, because okay. they hadn't figured out um, how to make the car. And my opinion was they should. 
after making a more thorough research, is now completely different. This is not to say that some of the uh, electric car companies are not doing um, unethical um, things, which they are, and hopefully we'll have time to talk about this, but not necessarily Tesla. Let me give a bit more context for people who are listening and don't know. Again, they promised to deliver to uh, release Roadster in 2020 and Cybertruck in 2021, if I'm not mistaken. What happened in 2020? COVID. Now, with COVID, the, the chip industry was massively impacted. Massively impacted. Why? You know, people working from home needed more computers and consumer electronics. Um, and, and on top of that, so it's really, really difficult to produce electric, vehicle, uh, electric cars. It's a new industry. And Tesla does this from the ground up, as opposed to uh, other companies, General Motors and, and, and Chrysler and others. That's why I'm also they are, I think, a bit out of the game, but we'll get there in a second. So they were impacted. So they had to push the, some production lines a bit further. Okay. Now, a fourth reason, and not a lot of people know this, the Model 3 almost bankrupted Tesla because it's so hard to produce an electric vehicle. Until you figure out how to mass produce it, it's really difficult. That's why Marcus said in a video that not, a, not all of the other companies have moved from the stage four of the prototyping to mass production. It's really, really complicated. And Tesla has, has figured it out. So and they had the same problems with the Model 3. They had delays in the production, delays in the logistics, but in the end, they delivered, okay? So is it really unethical? I, I don't think so. Tesla is really disrupting the industry. And this new model, the, the, the Tesla Roadster, which uh, uh, will be released accordingly to Elon Musk in 2023, will, uh, will bring a complete all different uh, paradigm into the industry. We should praise what the work they are doing. Um, and that's my opinion. I, I accept other uh, points of views. But I think it's really important what they are doing, uh, and I don't think it's unethical at all. <clears throat> don't you think that these very intelligent people that work in the company should kind of foresee how long certain things will take? I mean, I, I know that building one thing is a lot, lot easier than building a lot. And I do understand that COVID happened and chips and fish and everything you couldn't get them. I, I get that. I really get that. And actually, when it comes to 2020, yes, that's fine. But I'm still a little bit like, you know, it's not the only situation. It's not the only example. And I just feel like, you know, when, when you go onto Kickstarter and, and buy something and they don't have a date of completion or when they'll send you, you kind of make a decision to buy something without knowing exactly when you'll receive it. But when a company like Tesla or any, any other automotive company who's already established and has such a brand gives you a date, you kind of assume that they're going to make that deadline. I would agree and 100% with you if it wasn't for COVID. They had to shut down the... the yeah, no, the COVID, factory. yeah. COVID, COVID definitely is the disclaimer here because I get that. I mean, we couldn't even buy toilet paper, let alone batteries, you know, so um, I get that. Yes, you of course you need to deliver against the expectations, but at the end of the day, you also need to keep your company running. If they were to defocus their attention to the uh, production lines that needed a perfection due to the lack of chips, due to the disruptions on the supply chain, and 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 focus that and, and have like a middle focus attention to, uh, to all of the 
um, uh, lines that require production, they would go they would go under. So is is it is it what I what they did in ethical? I don't think so. We're talking about something really complicated here. Just um, to pause the conversation for a second, does anybody here actually think that it is unethical? I'm kind of worried that we're pushing the, the ethics thing when the question is more about as a as a product manager or a product team, how mindful do you have to be about the the feasibility of what you design when you're de when you're approaching a problem in a design thinking way, starting with the user and finding out their unicorn solution for this problem. Where do you draw the line with that? No, but no, do we I think no, this is unethical. I, I think you're right, Simon. I think it it comes down to whether they what they were thinking they could achieve like if tesla thought oh no we're definitely going to nail 2020 and then well we know what happened um then absolutely it, it, ethical because they could foresee happened it. In 2020 oh you know that thing in 2020 you know you know that that important thing in 2020 <laughs> 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 yes yeah, so i agree that in this instance i don't think we need to talk about the ethics i think you know, in my in my kind of ideal world, you wouldn't take money from people until you actually had the products, because that's kind of how we buy things in a shop, right? You we go, we want ketchup, it's there, we buy it. But I do understand that with these companies, it is kind of crowdsourcing. They do need this money up front to be able to actually produce anything, because they're just then until they're established and they've got their own. Um, money, they won't be able to produce anything. Uh, my husband and I recently bought this really beautiful, extremely expensive clock. And I think we like um, bought it about six months ago and we still haven't seen it because they're producing it. And for obvious reasons, they've got problems with sourcing the eco-friendly, sustainably sourced word from wherever. Um, so I don't know what I'm going to get. Of course, they didn't tell me a date. They actually said they don't know how long it will take. So I think it was a little bit more ethical, but... Um, but I think I kind of get both sides of the story. I still think that when it comes to digital services, there should be the ethical, uh, those eth ethical interventions and those e principles in place. But I get your point, Simon, that Tesla probably didn't want to lie to people. They do actually want to make the cars and sell them. It's just life happens. So what do you think, Marco, what... This is probably more your area. What would you see as being the biggest risks associated with an approach like this? I'm guessing not delivering a car and sending people their money back or not sending people their money back would be up there. What's what's of the company? There's a company, car com electric car company, that Marcus talked about in the video that went through that situation, what we're talking about here. The company is called... Lords, uh, Lordstown Motor, Motors. Uh, they received a significant investment from um, quite uh, mediatized companies and, and people. And went public. Uh, they never delivered the product. And I think we, until recently, they, they, they went bankrupt. So um, where do you draw the line? Um, uh, have you seen the series um, on... Um, Disney called talks about the the life of Elizabeth Holmes and Ther uh, Theranos. Have you seen that? I haven't seen that, but I have read Bad Blood, so I know the story. It, it talks a lot about what we're talking about here. So she yeah. delivered a prototype, said that she would do a lot of things, 
everyone knew, she knew that the technology would never be able to deliver what she promised, which was to run an analysis uh, on a, a battery exams analysis uh, on a drop of blood that you would put into a box that they created, right? Then they would robotics, they would run. So, and people tried to speak out against that and they were all shut down. So it's, it's not, it's never easy. Perhaps we're talking about a, a new movement here that we'll see soon, which will give some power to these um, product designers, people who work in the design of the, the product to, um, to take control of the narrative. Uh, I don't think it's as easy as that. I would argue that she, in this instance, was the product designer. I think it all. I think it all comes down to what do you define a designer to be. But I mean, do you think that she knew from day one that she couldn't do it and that she was just trying to make money, or do you think that she thought similarly to when I don't know Steve Jobs went on stage and showed the was it three G phone iPhone the first one, and it had plexiglass on it. And he put it in his pocket, took it out, and it was all scratched. And he gave his team, what was it, six months or something to come up with technology that wasn't there. It was actually. It was on a shelf somewhere. But with the technology to create glass that wouldn't shatter so easily but could be used on a phone. Do you think that maybe because, you know, a lot of people have said that she was trying to be the kind of the female Steve Jobs. Do you think that she thought, oh, I'll, I'll fake it till I make it, but I will make it? And she just didn't make it because it's not there and it's impossible at the moment in the current situation. But she she believed in it so much. She told so many lies that she just couldn't get out of it. And in the end, it was like, I'm just going to carry on as long as I can. So let me ask you to that and to um, Simon's previous comment. I can, I, can, I can accept that. I can buy that. That in the, in the beginning, she really believed in what she was doing. However, it was clear she knew. It was clear that she knew that she wouldn't be able to deliver what she promised. And going to Simon's point, in the beginning, she was a product designer. Further down the line, when the company was already quite um, massive and, and, and with a team of, um, I don't know, thousands of employees, uh, retailers to have their, their, their product uh, in store for people to do the exams. That's when I think having a proper uh, design ethics mechanism with proper governance would allow some of these designers to speak out. The amount of control and uh, oversight and pressure that it was just beyond what <laughs> what a human can accept. That's it was crazy th- what she was doing, and so I think yes, it's difficult, but we will need some more uh, governance around design ethics, especially uh, at a time where technology and AI, we are not talking about uh, sentience, are uh, gaining more and more preponderance. You keep saying allowing people to speak. Do you think that is the solution? Because it's the people's nuances, the way that they react to... Like, you say that she was the product designer to start with, but the next step, and I'm not familiar with the story, so I'm just pulling things out of the air here, but I pre- I presume the next step was that she was the boss. And then you need to think about the interactions employees and bosses have and whether or not a product designer working underneath her would actually believe that what they were doing was wrong. And again, maybe maybe in this instance they did, but 
there are lots of historical situations where pretty bad things have happened because there was a community or a hierarchy that legitimized those actions. Do you think it's time to take it out of the human's hand? Is it governance or is it a set of rigid rules that can be followed? Yeah, you, you know, it can, it might, it probably won't be as easy as just updating design thinking or human-centered design processes because there are companies that will want to follow it. They want to be ethical. We've got B Corp organizations that are uh, all about being more sustainable and more ethical and they're all, they basically want to get certification to show that they are that kind of company. It's not only for the users, but also for talent, because more people are looking at those kind of things when joining a company. But I think um, it might be that it will just have to be government policies that allow those certain things and and um, support the, the designers. You're absolutely right. Wh whistleblowers, you know, we've seen time and again how they've been shunted, you know, sacked, um, and, and, you know, some of them have even, you know, had mental issues because of the situation. I think if I'm correct in the Elizabeth Holmes story, there was a suicide as well because of this. So absolutely understand that it's not always up to the designers that should speak up because some organizations don't allow that and that are very hierarchical. And there are a lot of those unicorn companies in, um, in Silicon Valley that have the same situation. So I think it's probably going to have to be, um, two things. First of all, you, you know, um, giving the users the tools to be able to speak up in the companies where it is possible and give them the tools to understand the ethics of design. And the second thing, it will have to be governments that implement some kind of policies if we really want to safeguard the user. I disagree with that um, perspective. I think there's something that can be done uh, right away, more simplistic. So taking just the point on government, of government, taking just the point of the governments needing to do something. They're already doing something, you know, more and more we see policy. So, you know, we will get there. However, think about how a product manager or the staff that a product manager uh, needs to take when um, developing a product or engaging with the development team to architect the product, especially in banking. You know, you go through the barriers that exist that would prevent the product to be developed or what you need to develop uh, in order to follow, um, let's just say, payments guideline or payments rule. Why, why, why shouldn't you be able to, fo to follow, for example, design ethics guidelines, right? So you can cover the, obviously, the usability for the user, accessibility, developing something needs to also cover uh, people who have, let's just say, uh, visual, um, impaired problems, right? And, and, and the list goes on. Privacy, the same thing. Transparency, the same thing. Why shouldn't there be a guideline for design ethics when uh, developing a product? I think we can do something faster by having someone looking at this with really close attention, probably working with governments or the bodies responsible for implementing this and make this a uh, industry, cross-industry uh, um wide adoption, uh, but I disagree with that point of view. I think there's something we can do by uh, implementing some, some rules and guidelines when developing this product. I, as I, said. 
I definitely didn't say we can't. I just said that there are companies that will implement this and will want to. And there are companies that won't because ethics is stifling. Um, it takes away a little bit of the creativity, similarly to accessibility. We all know that there are not all companies follow accessibility guidelines or government digital standard guidelines because they don't want to, because it's stifling, because it's boring, because, you know, they've got this idea and they don't need to. You know, when GDPR came in, they started to think about data, didn't they? So I think, yes, you're right. But I think then it needs to come from both sides. I think companies need to implement it. And for those that don't want to, there needs to be some kind of a policy in place. Does it really take creativity away? It's a good question for to ask our users. Put your comments in the comment box below. So I think that rounds off the episode on ethics, even though I think we decided halfway through the Tesla case wasn't about ethics for us. But it would be a really interesting subject to explore in future episodes, especially now that we know that we have a world-renowned expert in the field. <laughs> uh, no pressure on getting that PhD, Sam. Thanks, Anyway, guys. this episode is looking pretty long. Let's round it up. Sam, where can you find us? Well, you can go to our Instagram account, design.wakeup, or Twitter, design underscore wakeup. We've also got a LinkedIn page where we publish a few extra bits, so definitely head over there. And we've got a website, designwakeup.com. And if people want to see us, if they're, if they're that way inclined, if they want to watch our faces and lips Shit, moving, Marco, where can the they do that? Channel. If you want to see Ansem Simon giving more beautiful introductions and Sam speaking about the... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. We're I'm leaving I'm all of this in. I'm entitled to have We're this We're leaving it in, so just finish it. I'm entitled to have this moment to decide. Uh, go to our YouTube channel. Um, we'll be posting our video uh, versions of our podcast there and more content to come. I've got a question for you. Mm -hmm. If you're watching us on YouTube... Do you watch your podcasts on YouTube or do you prefer to listen to the audio only? Just a bit of user research down there in the comments. It's going to be embarrassing if you scroll down and there are no comments because, well, it just, just will be. just leave some. <laughs> yeah. I'll be like, Marco did a completely on. fake survey on LinkedIn the other day where he got all his mates to comment about what he wanted to talk about. Not really. I actually asked them to uh, give my honest opinion. <laughs> Sure, sure. As long as they are agreeing with you. <laughs> a lot of them show, A lot of them wanted to, want to know how design um, immerses into this, uh, change management. It's this is a rambling episode. If you yeah. like rambling episodes, subscribe, like, and follow us on like your podcasting platform of choice. That was that was it. I'm going to say goodbye. I don't know whether Sam and Marco are going to carry on, but that was it for me. See ya. <laughs> <laughs> I think I don't have it in me. I'm just going to kind of like swim away. Swim away, swim away. Now I never Swim, baby, I love you. Better swim away, swim away, swim away. <laughs> you looking kind of shady. Don't call me baby. Better swim away. <laughs> Uh, that was good.